So we finished with the preliminaries, or we have one more paragraph to go? about 
uh, renunciation. The first verse doesn't tell you specifically how to develop renunciation. It talks more about why you need renunciation. There's no way to end without pure renunciation. This striving for pleasant results in the ocean of life. It's because of their hankering life as well that beings are fettered to seek renunciation first. Well, this sort of tells you, give you the, the ground in terms of what you need to do first <coughs> and how you need to do that. And remember we read about uh, a prisoner in, in, a prisoner who's in jail. Yeah, the prisoner doesn't want to leave. So the prisoner will never, you can never, the prisoner will never find himself or herself outside of prison. So in the same way, samsara is like a prison. If you don't want, if you don't see that you're in prison, if you don't see the condition of where you are, then you can, will never develop the desire or the aspiration to leave it. And why would you not want to leave samsara? Because you don't see it as what it is. You see it as a place where that is worthy to be. Or perhaps you see it as the only place where you can ever be. You don't see that perhaps that there might be another place to be. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, uh, in the beginning, we might get confused about is where is samsara, what is samsara? Uh, did we go over the, the definition of samsara in here? Probably not. Not yet. Uh, samsara is not a place, but it doesn't mean that there, you, you don't experience a place while you're in samsara. It's not a place in the sense of a location where you can uh, drive to or take a spaceship <coughs> It is wherever your, this kind of body, this kind of mind is found. Whether this kind of body, this kind of mind is found on the planet Jupiter or on the planet Mars, whether it's on this Earth, whether it is in uh, uh, the Milky Way or some other, the planet Xenon somewhere. <laughs> or even, even a Volcan. Volcan? Volcan? <laughs> what's what's uh, Spock's planet? Volcan, Volcan, yeah. Volcan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> matter where you go, no matter how fast you go, no matter how, uh, uh, how far you go into the universe, if you have this kind of body, this kind of mind, you're in samsara. Okay. So you have to recognize what is samsara. So you can, so you can uh, I would say, I would say seek to have a disgust for samsara, I would say just look at it for what it is. Okay? Don't, don't approach it with a prejudice of, I'm going to find something disgusting here, let me look for what's disgusting. Just look at it for what it is, and then you will have the proper appreciation for it. Okay? What kind of body do you have? What kind of mind do you have? Uh, so... Uh, let's get to this paragraph here. Uh, this verse, by the way, incorporates what the works on the steps of Buddhahood refer to as the instructions for those of lesser and of medium scope. Um, well, his Lam Rim over here, by coincidence. Uh, in, uh, this is this is what what. Uh, the works on the steps to Buddhahood. This is it. This is the book. It comes in three volumes. This is the translation by a team of people. 
because I'm going to send more translation committee. <laughs> okay. there, there's, there's another translation uh, also coming three volumes called, uh, well, it's not a translation of this, but the same, it's the same work, a, a commentary on this. It's by Pabon Karimpoche, that's the three volumes, you've seen it in there, some of you already have it. That's the liberation in the palm of your hand. Okay? So when you hear the steps to Buddhahood, it refers to these kinds of, <coughs> these kinds of books. And there are many. There's uh, Manjushri's Lamrim, there's uh, Southern Lamrim, there's all kinds of Lamrims. And the different Dalai Lamas wrote different like, commentaries on Lamrim. Okay. And it's not just the Gelupas uh, who have works on Lamrim. All the Tibetan, uh, uh, Tibetan traditions have works, their own works on the Lamrim, like... Uh, Words of my perfect teacher is another kind of Lamrim. Okay. So, in those uh, works, and this is a Lamrim, of course, by the way, uh, in those works where they expand more on the Lamrim, uh, this instruction that we are going over, the, the, the instructions on renunciation, is what is covered in here under instructions for those of lesser of me or medium scope. Uh, in the very beginning, we talked somewhat about what are the scopes. The scopes are just simply referred to as lesser, medium, and greater scope. Now, lesser, medium, and greater scope is not like you go into a supermarket and, you, and, you, and looking at what's available and you say, mm, which one should I choose? It happens to be what your motivation is, where your motivation is. You could be uh, studying Tantra and... and, and and uh, having taken 10,000 initiations, and you're still not even a lesser practitioner yet. Okay? A lesser practitioner is somebody who has a realization, somebody who really sees samsara for what it is. If you still believe that there is some sort of true sense of satisfaction that can be found with this kind of body, this kind of mind, living in this kind of environment, then you're not even a lesser practitioner. And you could, and you could, and you could be the, the, the direct disciple of the... Uh, whoever and then taking initiations and and doing your practices every morning, every night, but you're still not even a lesser practitioner. So being a lesser practitioner here is not mean that someone lesser than you. Okay? It means when you compare that person to a bodhisattva, that person is lesser. Okay? Not to you, to a bodhisattva, a real actual bodhisattva, that's lesser. Okay? And uh, Sometimes uh, students ask, uh, am I lesser, am I medium, am I, am I great, which, where, where am I, okay? And, uh, if you're asking that question, <laughs> then you're probably not even lesser, <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, and it's not like, uh, and people ask, how come the Theravadans, why did they choose the lesser? Like I said, it's not like they went to a supermarket and look at their pockets and see how much money they've got and see what they can get. Okay. Well, I only got this much. I gotta get get the lesser vehicle. Okay. <laughs> they don't consider themselves on the lesser vehicle. They consider themselves on the highest vehicle ever. What's the highest vehicle for them? I'm going to Nirvana. What else can be higher than that? Okay. And the the, the uh, when you compare that to the Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva is I'm going to Buddhahood so I can help all sentient beings. So that makes it greater. Greater in the sense also that uh, if you look at the goal itself, uh, from the perspective of a bodhisattva, when you take yourself to nirvana, 
who else can you take there with you? If you, if you can only take yourself there because of your spiritual power, then it's a lesser vehicle. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a unicycle. Okay? Uh, it, it can't take more than, you can't fit more than one person on, on that vehicle. Okay? If you're going there just so that you can reach Nirvana. But if you go there so that you can bring as many people as possible, then, the, then that vehicle has greater capacity, greater seating capacity. <laughs> okay. And somebody last night experienced a Mahayana experience. <laughs> she switched vehicle <laughs> for greater <That's> capacity. <laughs> okay. Uh, Actually, the lesser capacity in here uh, is somebody who sees the disadvantage of living in this kind of realm. You see that I can have this, this my life can be better. So you're uh, shooting for a better life, a, uh, a better life, uh, but still within samsara. The medium scope is the one who, who goes out for, for nirvana. And the higher scope, the greater scope, is the one who's going for Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. Okay? Not that because the Buddha has a better looking body and you want that, that instead. Okay? But because of what you can do with it. So we see some people around with the notion that to reach enlightenment, you only need to practice the wish to achieve Buddhahood for all living beings. And that you don't need to practice renunciation. And this kind of messed up kind of uh, understanding comes from because uh, of uh, it's because of a social thing. You happen to be you happen to be born in a country where people are more mainly practicing Mahayana, and you call, you call yourself Mahayana it's because of that. Okay, and just like uh, you could even be uh, somebody who's happens to be uh, born in a country where they're mainly practicing so to reach in uh, Nirvana, and you take yourself oh I'm somebody who's aspiring to achieve Nirvana. Okay, that, uh, just because you're born in that country, just because the major the majority of the people there, that's what they're doing, doesn't, that's not, doesn't mean that, that, that you are that kind of person. You could, be, you could even say, uh, mm, well, there, there was one example, in, I'm sure there were many examples, but there's one famous example of, of uh, uh, within the Gelupa Monastery, for example. So you can be somebody who's studying within the Gelupa uh, Monastery, but it doesn't mean that you are really a Gelupa. Eventually, you will be brainwashed and you'll be, <laughs> you'll be a good look <laughs> uh, So, just because you're born there, doesn't mean that uh, uh, you are that. And because, just because you happen to be going to a center, that's where the, 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 the emphasis of the center is Mahayana, doesn't mean that but because you enter there, because you like going there, you're, there, you're a Mahayanist. Okay. And because of this kind of a, a confusion that goes on, so people think that, oh, since the people who are going to Nirvana mainly or only need to practice renunciation, and I'm in the Mahayana tradition, I don't need to practice that stuff. I just have to focus on bodhicitta. Okay. And that's why in the... In the, when, in the longer explanations, when they talk about the scopes, they talk about them in terms of uh, uh, shared instructions. Shared instructions. Okay? Rather than instructions for these people, instructions for that people. Okay? 
if your aim is nirvana, that is, you're so sick and tired of this kind of body, this kind of mind, this kind of environment, you're so sick and tired of it, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot uh, help but think of getting, getting, getting out of it. You seek, uh, you seek nirvana. And that's it. And, and of course, when you talk to someone about it, you say, well, really, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and you, you don't think any further than that, then you are somebody who's uh, in, in the uh, medium scope. Okay. And because that is uh, what the, those of the medium scope are focusing on, and what the, uh, those of the medium scope are focusing on, the ones of, of the greater scope, what they're focusing on is bodhicitta. From the big, it's bodhicitta that makes you into uh, somebody of greater scope, and it's bodhicitta that's going to get you to the, the goal of the, of the greater scope. So people think that, oh, I don't need to practice anything else but bodhicitta. But, you cannot achieve bodhicitta if you don't have renunciation. How are you going to help every single sentient being get out of suffering if you have no appreciation of what that suffering is? Mm-hmm. How are you going to help people get out of nirvana, get out of uh, samsara into nirvana, when you don't have an appreciation for what nirvana is? It's like... Uh, 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 that's why Rinpoche uh, uh, loved to use the word. Ch- it's like you're you're like a charlatan. 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 It's like you're a charlatan. Okay. You're professing something that you yourself are, on, are not practicing. And I guess uh, what would you call that? Uh, that is a nice term for that. Imposter. Scoundrel. Scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Imposter. He's, he's a poser. It's like it's like a cool slime word. Imposter. Um, poser. Yeah, it's yeah. like the word from last night. Okay. Not bowler. Baller. Baller. <laughs> <laughs> Baller. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not. This stuff might be. Closing is something that. It's the baller path. <laughs> <laughs> I had to use it. I had to use it. We need a transmission. Okay. Well, the truth though is that even just to reach a lower nirvana, renunciation is an absolute necessity. In fact, it has to be fierce renunciation. Mm-hmm. Is that word in there? Fierce renunciation. As the great Tongkapa, our protector, has said himself, about this attitude, it's just the way Sharawa described it. Suppose it's no stronger in your heart than a thin film of barley, <laughs> thin film of barley powder spread out on the surface of some homemade beer. I have no idea what that looks like. <laughs> but you can help me imagine. <laughs> uh, suppose it's no stronger in your heart than a thin film of barley powder spread out on the surface of some homemade beer. Then your feeling that you want to avoid the cause of the cycle of life, what we call the origin, will be no stronger than that. Then your aspiration to reach nirvana 
where you stop both suffering and its origin will be exactly the same way. And then, your wish to achieve the path that brings this nirvana will be nothing but empty words. So too for compassion, the state of mind where you can no longer bear to see other living beings wander through the cycle. There's no way you will gain it. Then finally, you will never find a genuine form of the wish to achieve matchless enlightenment for all living beings. A powerful wish that can urge you on. And so, the greater way becomes for you nothing but some flimsy understanding of the description you find, in, find it in books. In trying to develop renunciation, most of the time we hesitate to, to, to do that because we are convinced that about we are convinced that the only place the only uh, uh, the only uh, the only place where I have experienced some sense of contentment is here. I don't know if I can achieve any contentment outside of here. So you're not certain. You are certain that there is suffering here, that we are all aware of, that there is dissatisfaction here. We are, we are, uh, we are f firmly aware of that. But what you need to help you develop renunciation is not simply to see the suffering here. You must gain a conviction that satisfaction can be found outside of here. Okay. And that's usually what keeps old people back. Because uh, you either have something than nothing. You could have, we either want to have uh, a little bit of uh, happiness here and there, even if it comes once in a blue moon. Well, at least it comes once in a blue moon. But you don't want to throw yourself into a, a situation where you may never get it. Okay. So you have to examine not only the condition of samsara, <coughs> but you also have to examine what would nirvana be like. Okay. And at first, all you have to do is just think of all those rotten experiences that you've ex had here and think of Nirvana as the absence of those. Uh, we don't have the capacity right now to uh, really appreciate what Nirvana would be like. I mean, you can use words, it's the most blissful thing that you can ever think of, and that becomes, for, for a lot of us, just words in our heads, the most blissful thing you can experience. But you can, uh, you can sort of imagine uh, a very intense pain but you cannot really imagine in a, very, in a way that you can truly appreciate what, what a blessed out would be like. Okay. And because you can't imagine it, so, or just think of a condition where there is no experience of dissatisfaction whatsoever. There is no experience of pain whatsoever. Not even annoyance. Okay. Then you can start, from, from there you can start to appreciate what nirvana is like. You can, then you can start having yourself uh, aspire to reach nirvana. Okay. And only when, once you appreciate nirvana and you know, appreciate samsara, then you can have the proper attitude towards both of them. Proper attitude towards samsara and proper attitude towards nirvana. Then when you can really appreciate that, say, ah, there will be a nice place for everybody else to be. Okay then if, if, it's, if you don't really appreciate it, it will be like uh, throwing, throwing somebody into a, into a situation and having that person test it out for you. Okay? So, you know, you're in Mahayana, 
you're pretending to be Mayana, and you're hanging people along, you go to Buddhahood, go to Buddhahood. And then what you really wanted to see is, okay, what is it like? <laughs> okay. Uh, of course, you can't do it that way, but no. That kind of attitude won't help. Okay, the point here is that to develop the wish to achieve enlightenment for all living beings, you must first develop a kind of compassion where you can no longer bear to see these beings tormented by the sufferings of life. To develop this kind of, of strong attitude, this, this kind of strong compassion, this kind of strong uh, uh, sentiment for all beings, you must develop renunciation over your own situation. There is no way otherwise you could gain compassion. Okay? And this idea that, oh, I don't need to develop renunciation because uh, I'm, I'm going for Buddhahood, so I only need to focus on Bodhicitta, is because you don't really understand what's going on. And, and this attitude might even, be, uh, it might even be because of you are afraid to look at your suffering. Okay? You're afraid to look at it. You know what it's, what it's going to be like and you're afraid to look at it. You're afraid of being overwhelmed by it. And the one who's on the medium, on the medium scope, the one who's on the, on the path to achieve nirvana, um, until you, uh, outlet it this way, until you can selfishly want nirvana, you cannot really be a bodhisattva. You must want it badly. Then from, that, from your experience of wanting it badly, then you can extrapolate how others could also want this badly. Then you can be a bodhisattva. Okay. There is no way otherwise you could gain compassion, for it contemplates the situation that others must face. This too, Kantur Lama, is what Lord Atisha meant in his gentle rebuke to, our, to us Tibetans. Only in Tibet have they found people who wish, <laughs> who, uh, people with the wish for enlightenment and who haven't yet found love and compassion. Uh, we're in danger of this here in, this, in, uh, uh, in uh, the other side of the, of the world. Other side of Tibet, we are. Uh, you, and, and and this is you have to really look into into your into your mind to find out exactly where you are. You have to uh, do a what do you call that? Uh, inventory. Inventory. You have to do an inventory of your mind, inventory of your motivation. Where are you really? Why are you in the Mahayana path? Are you there because everybody says it's, it's the greatest, and you want to be where everybody says it's the greatest? Or are you really there because of, of, of true aspiration? Okay. You know, Tibetans, they got colorful temples. The Theravadans, you know. Is that, is that on? I don't know. <laughs> That's a different uh, thing, by the way. Uh, Hinayana and Mahayana, you have to understand, uh, <coughs> doesn't exist as... Uh, 
traditions, really. You, want, you can't really find a hina in a tradition. There, there's hina in a philosophy. And there's maha in a philosophy. Okay? There isn't really a hina in a uh, tradition. There, there are only people who are uh, uh, really hina the way we think of hina. Okay? So, uh, there, there are people who, like, the Tibetans, they have this uh, exotic uh, form of Buddhism. They have this, you know, the colorful tankas, and they have this colorful uh, deities, and they, they talk about how you can you know, transform yourself into one of them. And that, if that's the first thing that, that, that you uh, encounter, then that might be your appeal. And, and for you, achieving Buddha would make, is just like you know, uh, getting uh, latest fashion. Okay? And you may not think of it consciously that way, but unconsciously, that's, that's your approach to achieving uh, th those states. It's just like buying a new pair of shoes, buying, you know, you know, buying a, the, the, you know, the latest outfit, okay? because that's what's popular out there. And uh, if, you, if you are practicing, and, and unfortunately, uh, for, for whatever reason, in this, uh, the age that we're <coughs> in right now, uh, you don't enter Tantra uh, through all We don't enter Tantra because we've gone through all the, the, the preliminaries, we've gone all through the, the stages that, the, no, the good old days, the golden days. Okay? You enter Tantra when your compassion is intense. When it's, and, and, it's, and it's said like, a, it's like your hair is on fire. That, that, that's, what, that's supposed to be the motivation that gets you into Tantra. But for whatever reason, uh, now we enter Tantra uh, even, some, some of us even enter, and I'm talking about not just people here in the West, you know, the other side of Tibet, people even in India, in, in, even in Tibet, they enter Tantra because, you know, that's what everybody's doing, you know, so we enter into it. And there are monks and nuns who are, who've received initiations, they, 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 have, they have no ideas that they've done so, okay? It's later on that they say, oh, that was an initiation I did. <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to be doing that kind of practice? Okay. So, uh, and it's just like uh, Lord Atisha. And so, even at the time of Lord Atisha, this was going on already. That's what Lord Atisha was, was pointing it out. He said, oh my, look at you Tibetans. You've got... <laughs> Only here you find people with the wish for chief enlightenment, and you don't even have compassion. Mm. Okay, and that's I mean, that's like an oxymoron, you know. Mm. That is, uh, uh, what is the definition of the wish for to achieve enlightenment? I mean, even though we're not in the second second uh, second path yet, which is a little bit away, which is for us a few years away. <laughs> <laughs> Was that next page? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, what's the definition of bodhicitta? The wish to become a fully enlightened being for the benefit of all sentient. The main mind which wishes to become an enlightened being for the benefit of all sentient. Yeah, okay. And that's the short definition that's found in Abhisamaya uh, Abhisa, uh, uh, Abhisa Lankar. Okay. And there's a 
longer definition, which includes that based on love and compassion, seeing the suffering of others, seeing how nirvana in Buddhahood is something worth to go after, then you have this wish. Okay? So if you don't have love and compassion as a basis, you cannot develop, you cannot, you cannot have true wish for enlightenment. And you cannot have compassion if you don't see your own suffering and appreciate it in your own bones, in your own body, in your own mind. And you can say, ah, oh, that's what others are going through. I know what others are going through. And then based on that, you're going to have compassion for them. Then this compassion becomes the basis for you to develop bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is not only the compassion. It is what comes on top of the compassion. Okay. So now that we have, supposedly by now, have an appreciation for why we should develop renunciation, now we're going to go into how to develop renunciation. Do you want to develop renunciation? <laughs> Are you there yet? No. Okay. Why do you want to develop renunciation? Because I'm tired of this world. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially nowadays, like, we, we have a lot of uh, reasons to, do, to be tired of this world. Yeah. Okay. You got, you got uh, human beings causing suffering mm. unto uh, un, un human beings. Mm. And on top of that, you got the earth mm. causing suffering mm. on beings. Mm. Okay. Mm. And you might think that some of, some of us may have the aspiration and it might be sincere, and it might have some, and it could come out of some, some sense of compassion that you want to transform the world. You want to transform it into some sort of a heaven where everybody's happy. Yeah. Where the chicken is happy before his head gets cut off. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, isn't that what this world is? Right? question that comes in, into my mind once in a while. Oh, I, uh, you know, when you, oh, just, just transform this world. Okay. There's some happiness here. You know, let's, let's make it more happy. Okay. What, 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 do we, what would it be like? Still wouldn't change. Yeah. Well, why do you say that? Yeah. Why do you say it wouldn't change? Because, uh, you know, uh, ignorance still exists everywhere. No matter how you slice or dice it, you might have those moments of happiness, but at the end of the day, as long as ignorance prevails, mm -hmm. we have suffering. Mm -hmm. You'd still be engaged in a in a universe which is built on karma and which rises and falls with karma, and where negative karma is still being mm -hmm. created. Yeah. I mean, it is possible that you can transform this planet into a very yeah. nice heavenly yes. planet and last for a thousand years, where everybody's nice to each other. And there are no chickens. <laughs> yeah, you, you could do that. But because of that, because the foundation of it is flawed, 
eventually it will have to, you know, all those beautiful beings will, will evolve into a greater and higher being, and it will become another place for some other kinds of beings to come in and to start the whole ball of uh, suffering again. And, and we do have it in mm -hmm. the pure realms. Yeah. And we have it with the beings who inhabit them, right? Yeah. And live thousands of years. Live thousands, yeah. Perfectly happy. Yeah. And, 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 and if your mind is going towards that direction, you have to really examine it. If, if, if your mind says that for you, Nirvana is transforming this world, this globe, into, into some sort of a heavenly place where you know, no taxes, uh, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things, you know, uh, profit is always going up. Public toilets are clean. Yeah, public toilets are clean. Corporate in a box. Small government. <laughs> you know, you have all this, and everything is just like that. Okay, everybody minds their own business. <laughs> okay, everybody has the latest car every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and mean, it could happen. You could have such a world. You could have a you could have a country that's like that. You could have two countries like that. You could have every country like that. Okay. But, you know, if the basis of it is still ignorance, if the basis of it is still uh, ignorance and karma, eventually it will fall apart. Okay. Because if it was possible, and this is, and this is a weak argument for me, but it, it, it works for some others, for others. If it was possible to do so, the Buddhists would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> Sometimes I say, well, they, they, they couldn't do it, I'll do it. No, arrogance, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, before we move on, uh, uh, I really want to know, I really want you to examine, really want to examine in, in, in your, your mind, is renunciation attractive? What do you think renunciation is? And uh, so we have, we have appreciation of suffering to some degree, you don't want it anymore. But you don't really see that there is an, an alternative. That's a, that, that would be something that would make a developed renunciation. Mm -hmm. But also, we might think of the path of renunciation is where you force yourself not to enjoy things. Mm -hmm. That's one of the right. biggest yeah. Ugh, yeah. misunderstandings about what renunciation is about. Okay. Renunciation is what you give up are suffering and the causes of suffering. What you pick up is uh, you pick up uh, uh, happiness or satisfaction and the causes, the true causes of satisfaction. Now, on the way there, because of our warped understanding of what what's the cause of suffering, what's the cause of contentment, because we were mixed up about these things. So some things that are the cause of, of, of contentment, because we think it's the cause of suffering, picking it up might be uncomfortable. You have to be nice to people. 
Oh man! <laughs> Anyone? Even? <laughs> so that being a cause to nirvana, to true satisfaction, and because we thought of it as being the cause to pain, so picking it up might be uncomfortable at the beginning. Okay, that's the, that, that's one of the reasons that we might be uh, we might hesitate to pick up to develop renunciation. Okay. Because we are screwed up in our heads about what is the true cause of suffering, what is the true cause of, of, of pain. Just keep thinking back, okay? Uh, just like uh, somebody who's doing some sort of sacrifice because they are convinced the outcome will be something that, that they want. Okay? Like uh, when you were going to college and, and uh, studying, uh, staying up late studying. Uh, some, some nights you, you didn't go to parties. So to some extent, because you had to, you thought that it was worth it going through this. What seems to be uncomfortable, it was worth going through it so you can get something better. Okay. So there are certain things that you have to put up with. You have to put up with Mary and John. You have to not get angry at them. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Things like that. Okay. And 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 some and because of the habit, the bad habit that we've developed towards the bad habit of how we relate with certain objects. We have to, to sort of stop that habit, the momentum of, of that habit, we may have to withdraw from our relationship with those objects for some time. It doesn't mean that those objects are essentially, uh, relating with those objects is, is uh, is an essential element to, to, uh, to suffering. Let me, see. Let me give you an example. Uh, um, what example did I give? <laughs> oh, we were talking about it last night. Is that a good example? Maybe the wrong idea. Like monks, for example, are not supposed to dance. Okay? Right? And the reason for, for monks to withdraw from that activity is because when we are engaged in that activity habitually or normally, it's, it's, to, it's to engage, uh, it strengthens attachment. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So when you're fighting with attachment, you stay away from that. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot relate with it without the, 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 the habit the energy that you develop with it to suddenly stop. But if you can engage it without attachment, then it's no problem. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I'll even go as far as saying, uh, well, that, it's not a danger for you, but with the dancing part, but the other stuff might be a danger for you. Um, drinking? Yeah. Okay? Because of how we, because of how we habitually relate with drinking, it only, it only furthers attachment. And since so attachment is something you need to get away from because attachment is a cause for continuing this life, so you stay away from drinking. But if you can engage it without being falling prey to it, then it's okay. And, and that's why I say it was very difficult for me to use that example. Yeah. 
<laughs> Stay away from alcohol. <laughs> oh, that's why in the in the in the in the in the higher higher teachings, it's then. Uh, <laughs> Eating, okay, eating, that's a good one. <laughs> so, uh, the Buddha's path is called the path of moderation, in, in, in all forms, okay. Uh, so, you're supposed to be moderate in your eating, moderate in your sleeping, moderate in your, you know, in your, uh, your, uh, your usual activities. Uh, because of the danger of the habit, when you relate with certain, with certain, with certain objects, if, uh, if, if, for example, if relating with Jeffrey causes you to have, as soon as you see Jeffrey, I don't know, even just hearing the name, uh, Jeffrey's name, all of a sudden you can't help having this bubbling anger come up because of whatever relationship that you have with, with, uh, with uh, Jeffrey. Okay? So, the thing to do is stay away from Jeffrey. Okay? And it doesn't mean that staying away in a sense of, oh, I can't stand that guy, I'm never going to see that guy, uh, not, in that, not in that way, but because when I am in the presence of Jeffrey, because of the habit that I've developed, it's difficult for me not to have anger come up, for me not to, have, uh, not to be irritated. So the best thing for me to do right now is to stay away from Jeffrey. So staying away from Jeffrey becomes your practice of morality. Mm. Okay? It doesn't mean that Jeffrey is the cause of, of, of samsara. Okay? So, in that sense. So, uh, and, and in, in the same way you can consider staying away from Jeffrey because of, of the, 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 this uh, uh, gross emotion that comes up. The uh, emotions dealing with attachment are a bit more difficult. Because we, Jeffrey, we already want, we want to stay away from Jeffrey. But things of attachment, the natural tendency is to go towards it. So it becomes an uncomfortable practice to stay or to deliberately stay away from objects of attachment. Okay. But, and the reason that you're doing that is because I understand because of my relationship with this object, because of my, the habit of how I relate with this object, it gives rise to causes of, of, of further... Uh, suffering. So for, I need to stay away from that. And the process of staying away from it can be difficult, can be uh, uncomfortable. And that's why some people will say uh, the practice of renunciation is, not, is the practice of staying away from, from joy. Okay? That's why renunciation has that bad name, bad reputation. As a matter of fact, you should think of renunciation as the complete opposite. I am so tired of suffering and I am so really want true, true, true uh, happiness. That's why, I, that's why I need renunciation. Okay? If you really care about happiness, if you really care about being happy, then you should, you should be the first one in line when you're giving out renunciation. Okay? If you really want to be happy, be the first one in line for renunciation. Otherwise, you don't really, you don't, you don't really want happiness. Renunciation is a real, the true path to true happiness. 
Okay, I hope that was enough of a sales pitch. <laughs> Attachment. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about that this last night with when you are attached to your own teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that we were we, we were having a debate in bed actually, <laughs> and they were going back and forth, and I didn't agree, and then they didn't, you know, and and we we're trying to look at it. But what is the highest? view on that has has in uh it's really good I think mm-hmm. to have an attachment to your your teacher. Um well yes and yes. Okay. I, have, I have to give a long answer, I'm looking for a long answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh attachment has different degrees of, uh, different degrees. There are, uh, it's not like, unfortunately it's, 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 uh, our vocabulary is so uh, limited. It, it, the, the emotion that you're talking about in relation with the teacher, unfortunately we don't have a better word so we just throw the word attachment. So it's not really attachment, it's just that it seems and feels the same way as attachment feels, so we just call it attachment. In the same way that, uh, well, it's not, well, when you talk about, when you get into the bodhicitta section and talk about how a bodhisattva is supposed to relate with sentient beings, the emotion is very much like attachment. Like a sentient a bodhisattva is attached to sentient beings. But it's not the same kind of attachment like you're attached to your shoes, yet you're attached to getting a car. It, it, uh, uh, this is where you can sort of make the distinction. It could be that uh, the attachment that you have towards the teacher could be the same attachment that you have for a car. But how do you know if it's uh, the, 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 the bodhisattva attachment? The one that you're supposed to have. Like, uh, uh, yes, this is a little detour. Sorry about that. Uh, one of the reasons that people are afraid of developing this manner of renunciation is because they feel like they have to somehow develop a sense of detachment towards their loved ones. They have to no longer love their loved ones the way they used to. That's not what renunciation is about. Because you love them, you better develop renunciation. Because you see what suffering is, is truly, truly, truly is. Okay. So the kind of a sense of endearment that you have for your loved one, that's not what renunciation is asking you to get, get rid of that. Okay? So if that was one of the things that you were concerned about, you can get rid of it. So the, the, distinction, this, 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 the distinguishing feature between those two kinds of sentiment that seems to be very similar is that would you, are you willing to harm someone else to get it? In attachment for your pair of shoes, you're willing to do something immoral to get the pair of shoes. You know, like, uh, you can think of attachment gone crazy, okay? Mm-hmm. Attachment gone crazy, what, what happens when attachment gone crazy for a pair of shoes? You don't have the money. What happens with, okay, attachment gone crazy? You steal. You steal it. You do something immoral. 
you steal, you, uh, uh, you rob, you mug. Uh, uh, okay, that's attachment. That's, so that's the attachment. That's the extreme of, 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 of that line of attachment. The other kind of attachment, it propels you towards morality. Okay? Because of your sense of endearment towards sentient beings, it pushes you to, I gotta reach Buddhahood. I love these beings so much. I want them to be happy so much. Okay? I love my family so much. I want them to be happy so much. Okay? I want to be, I want, and even to the point where I want to be around them, I don't want to not be around them. Okay? So what's the way to be around them all the time? If you're in heaven together, right, you're always going to be around each other. Okay? And, uh, and uh, that's why, uh, and my scriptural authority <laughs> for saying that, just in case, you know, is uh, the story between uh, Maud Galliana and, I've, I've said this many times, you forgot already? Maud Galliana and, sorry, Shariputra. Okay? Maud and Shariputra were friends for a very long time, even before they got into the, into the path. So they got into the path together. Okay? So they, they used to be like spiritual friends, like, okay, you go check that teacher out, I would tell and such. Oh, I never heard I, I got what I heard about this teacher, and you should come over. And eventually they, got, they ended up with the Buddha. Okay? And Mokalyana was like expert with uh, psychic abilities. You know, for breakfast he would go to, you know, the, the pure realms and such and such. Every once in a while he would go to the hells to visit people and, and try to uh, help them out. Okay? But, uh, Morgana had a very, very, the most horrible kind of end to his life. He was pulverized to death. Trying to help people, but <laughs> he was pulverized to death. I mean, pulverized, pummeled, beaten. Okay? And Shariputra, who was far away when you heard about this, okay, now, Morgana was already an, in an, an Arhat. Somebody was already in Nirvana. Somebody was not going to come back here anymore. It, it just, the body was just, you no. Know, waiting for his day to finish. And Shariputra also already reached Arhavut, you know, goes beyond the emotions and stuff like that. When Shariputra found out, Shariputra was depressed for weeks. This is an Arhat, depressed that his, his friend was, was badly injured and, and died. If, if, if it was okay for Shariputra, who already reached Nirvana, to feel that kind of uh, closeness towards a person, come on, for your family, the people that you owe, you owe, uh, 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 and uh, in, in the Lamrim they keep talking about how you owe your family, how you, you owe them so much, okay, it's, it's natural for you to feel what you, this, the sense of a, uh, endearment that you have for them, and of course it can turn to be the other kind of attachment, okay, but you just have to be careful, okay. So it depends. And unfortunately, we, don't have a, uh, we should have a different word for it. But we, unfortunately, we have just that one word, attachment. Okay. So uh, attachment itself is not necessarily bad. It, it's, uh, if, if it will lead you to do something immoral, then you have the wrong attachment. Okay. Can I uh, ask a question? Yes, you may. Uh, would you say becoming an arhat is uh, reaching a state of like a true contentment, yeah, that you never, uh -huh, go ahead, never leaves you. Go ahead. Yeah, you know it's coming. I know it's coming. Go but ahead. so, <laughs> uh, true contentment 
and complete depression. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm very happy you, you asked that question. Uh, yeah, well, you're about to ask it, go ahead, finish it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, uh, that's my question. True contentment and, and uh, complete depression. I feel like uh, if you had true contentment, it would, you wouldn't be having complete depression. Because he had true contentment, that's why he was about to have depression for Mount Kalyan. Mm. You said it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really nice. Some people have, and, and I think you're addressing this thing about when you're in Nirvana, when you see someone suffering, you, you don't feel sad for them. Or when you're a Buddha, you can't see people who are suffering. This wrong idea. This wrong notion. And, and you just take yourself as an example. Okay? Don't you feel yourself to be spiritually immature when you see someone suffering and you feel nothing for them? And your mind is just the same as it was two seconds ago? Yes. Then how is it that it's... It's some great achievement to feel, no, to feel no pain for someone who's suffering. The question is whether... Truth. I'm sorry. The, the question was whether, I think, whether the pain that is felt creates any kind of outflow, that's which good. then returns in the form of a karmic death mm -hmm. of some sort. Right? Okay, that's, that's, that's the thing. And also, the pain that you're feeling... It's not necessarily my bad karma is ripening. It is direct perception, not not the ultimate direct perception. It is seeing what is going on over there, but seeing it with your emotions rather than just your eyes. Oh, the body slump, the tears are flowing, maybe suffering over there. That for now, that's how that's how we see suffering. And then there's a seeing it with your emotions that you, you feel what they are feeling. That's another, that's a higher level of, of seeing suffering. And you feel the pain. Then you, ah, I know what that pain is now. That's knowing, that's knowledge. Okay. And how does this compare with, you, you have in the past referred to the sort of sweet sorrow, sweet suffering of, of a Buddha. Mm -hmm. That there's a, when, when a Buddha observes, directly perceives the tsunami, Mm -hmm. That there's a there's the Buddha is in bliss constantly in bliss mm -hmm. yet there is this also sense of sweet of sorrow suffering yeah. at the same time mm -hmm. is it similar to what um, Shariputra yeah. felt yeah so although his natural mind is is in a constant is in a constant bliss is in a state that uh, the, where the bliss can no longer uh, is not in danger of losing it. But it doesn't mean that you all of a sudden become dumb. You become stupid. You don't, see, you don't see what's going on. You see what's going on. If it's a sad thing, and if you're sad, then, then your sadness is more real than somebody else's sadness because it's a sadness based on seeing truly. Now, when you re reach the state of air, air mm -hmm. you see emptiness directly, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So isn't the body just a vessel that can't that can be taken apart? And wouldn't the compassion be for the people pummeling pummeling instead of the person who's getting pummeled? 
wouldn't there be more compassion for the people who are pummeling because they're creating oh, bad karma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. With the person getting pummeled mm -hmm. is already seen mm -hmm. emptiness directly and mm -hmm. realizes their body is mm -hmm. just a vehicle and you know has nothing to do with the body. Um, I guess you, you, you're talking about the different uh, levels of, uh, of the object that may have drawn, on, drawn out the sense of compassion. Yeah, of I wouldn't direct the compassion if, there's, if they're able to see emptiness. Oh, no, it's, the compassion no, 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 wasn't having compassion for, uh, for Maugaliana. He was sad that his friend is no longer going to be there with him. What's wrong with that? This, that wrong that is. sadness is, is be directly because of love. I love this guy. I love to have this guy around. This guy is going to go around. If I, if I, if I just, oh, okay, let me, let me eat my breakfast and continue my day. That means I, I didn't love this person. Isn't there a way we're trying to transcend all this stuff? I'm just saying, like, mm -hmm. like there's, no, there's no plummeting. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no upset thoughts. There's no wrong views. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, which I constantly have the wrong mm -hmm. view. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's just none of that. Right? Let me get some of that. Like, there will be none of that, hopefully, within the next hundred trillion years. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm trying to project like Nirvana. Like I'm, I'm trying to see. Okay. Or everything's okay. Oh, good. All right. Um, I want to go there. All right. Here's a, uh, here's, <laughs> here's, here's uh, a real uh, object of that view. When you're in Nirvana, Nirvana without remainder. You no longer have a body that's you know, waiting to, you know, to die because its time is, not, it's, it's time is up. Um, uh, nirvana, there's two Nirvana. You reach Nirvana and you're still in this body because it's the time of this body to go is not, it's not, uh, not arrived yet. You don't get upset even if somebody punches you in the face. Morgariana wasn't, wasn't upset at those people who were beating her to death. Not, not even one second, not, not even a, a moment of, of bad uh, of anger towards those people came to his mind because he was free of that. Okay? Morgariana was getting, of course he felt the pain. Oh, look at that, that's pain. Oh, that's what it feels like when your head is being bashed. And that would be like the, 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 uh, the, the state of mind which is, you know, okay? in Malgaliana's mind, towards those people who were, who were beating him up. Oh, what a sentient, beautiful sentient being. I hope one, I'm going to love to see that sentient being taking the path one day. That's, that's, that's his attitude towards those beings. Okay? But still, uh, so that's Nirvana with remainder. Okay? Now Nirvana without remainder, that means that Malgaliana is dead, he no longer has that body. Where, where, where does his essence, where did his essence go? Okay? His essence entered nirvana. And when in that state, that, that being doesn't see anything other than bliss. That being doesn't see people suffering. 
that being doesn't see a world, doesn't see anything. All they experience is just that bliss of Nirvana. That is not Buddhahood. Buddhahood is this inconceivable state where you are ex experiencing that and you still see who's suffering. Otherwise, who would you go out to help? Mm. It, it, will, it will almost be like a, a schizophrenic Buddha. Mm. Or look at the Buddha over there, suffering. If, if, if they come out of it and they see, oh, look at that, everybody's a Buddha. Okay, and my job is done. Or, if, 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 if they're looking at me, pitying me, I'm suffering, and this being is supposed to be a fully enlightened Buddha, and you see, oh, look at that uh, Buddha over there. That Buddha is of no value to me whatsoever, if he sees me as another, another fully enlightened Buddha. I am suffering. I want the Buddha to come and help me. If that Buddha cannot see my suffering better than I, than I can, of what use is that Buddha to me? So when that Buddha is seeing that suffering, how does that Buddha see it? How does that Buddha experience it? We don't know exactly, but we can only say that not the way that we would. It's not that the Buddha is tormented. Ah, oh, oh, what can I do? It's, it's, it's not that, that kind of torment. The Buddha is not, oh, it comes from that, that. This phenomena happening comes from that cause and condition. Remove those causes and conditions, that phenomena will not be there anymore. That being over there, Oh, he's experiencing that phenomena in, in that way, in this way. If that being wants to get out of it, let me help that being, you know, that kind of thing. It's not like uh, the Buddha looks at a suffering, me suffering, I don't know about you people if you're already nine, pretending, but me, I'm suffering. And if you, any one of you Buddhas, <laughs> looking at me and say, oh, another Buddha, get out of here, okay? <laughs> you're, of, you're of no use to me. I want help. I want out of here. <coughs> Okay? If you look at me, you've got to see my suffering even better than I can see my suffering. So that you can help me. Okay? So the state where you can't see me, where you, don't see the, you cannot see my suffering because you're not of a spiritual capacity to see suffering and not be, become dysfunctional because of it, that you're Hiranya Ahat. You're not a Buddha. You're someone who's into personal nirvana. Okay. That's the being who cannot see suffering after achieving uh, uh, the, uh, the, the ultimate, the, their own ultimate goal. A Buddha is in that state and sees suffering for what it is. Sees who's suffering. Knows who to go to to help. Okay. But a true Buddha is not, it sees the true nature of all phenomena, including suffering uh, with individuals, but ultimately it's the individual that has to help themselves. It's not the Buddha that's going to help them. And the Buddha helps. The Buddha doesn't remove the suffering. It helps, helps in terms of providing the path. Yeah. 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 But it's not going to take that person just because their karma has ripened and they've done things maybe in their previous lives that have now come to fruition and take that person and ha have them escape whatever it is they're experiencing. Yeah, I mean, the Buddha doesn't you know, take you out of suffering and put you into nirvana like that right. and say, let me go, I want my suffering, you know. No, it doesn't happen that way. But the Buddha comes to you and helps you. But it requires your participation. Yeah, it requires your participation for you to achieve the different levels. But the Buddha comes in help. So, have I misunderstood when I feel like I hear people say things like, you know, 
way or you get to a point where you see everybody as angels and you're in paradise all the time, is that like a misunderstanding or like a, a bad um, explanation? Uh, well, it depends on how you understand that. Like, when the, if, you, if you say, though, if you, if you look at it from your own perspective, when you see someone and you see an angel, the way you would, the way you would uh, relate with that person would be different than if you see someone who you see is a, I'm not going to say the word, you know what I'm talking thing about. The Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, Jeffrey. <laughs> when, when, you look at, when, you, when you look at Jeffrey, when you look at Jeffrey and when you look at an angel, how do, how, what's your natural reaction towards that? So if you look, if you, it's still uh, um, just a, a, not two, just two sentient beings, right? But when you see this as this person as an angel, your reaction and your way you relate with that person will be different than the way if you see that person as Jeffrey and the way you will relate with that. Now, when you can think of it that way from your own perspective, when the Buddha looks at sentient beings, he sees very beautiful things. It doesn't mean that the Buddha keeps seeing other Buddhas in front of him. I mean, it would drive the Buddha crazy. It would drive me crazy. I work for three countless eons to have all sentient beings, and finally, I'm a, I'm a Buddha, and I look around, no more sentient, no sentient beings to help. A bunch of Buddhas around me. I would think, I mean, it's like a, a, a stupid omission or something. I don't know. You have to interview them. Well, yeah. You have to interview them. Well, yeah. Tell me about your There's lives. no point in having the omissions. Yeah. There's no, yeah. All, everything you work for, it's, it's pointless at that point. Doesn't Buddha see it as non existent? I mean, he's, he's saying, you know, it's not, oh, that, it's yeah. not a real reality to it. So you don't, I mean, you don't even have to be a Buddha. For what they're going through. You don't have to be a Buddha for that. Even before that. Even before that. That you need that kind of view. You need that kind of perspective even before you to it. Well, you feel your, your sorrow for someone who's in suffering. Mm -hmm. is different when you have a look from that that this is ignorance and it's this Definitely. and it, you can help exactly. them so you don't feel kind of terminally you know you, sorry for them because you think there is a way out for them. You know you're not dysfunctional. Yeah. You don't see suffering and then it makes it dysfunctional. Okay. I have one final question but it's, it's a different approach to the same thing that was brought up about the Yana and the Shadow which is that you know, I agree with your sensibility, but it's still, I still have a problem, and maybe it's the problem that Ryan has, mm -hmm. also from the point of view of, if, in terms of analysis of, based on the, the eight worldly thoughts, because it's really difficult to see how one of those eight worldly thoughts just doesn't, does not apply, when that particular worldly thought is the thought of, of, of losing attractive mm -hmm. objects. And it seems to me that in some sense that... Uh, um, you felt the loss of an attractive object when... when when he suffered the loss of mm. Mongoliana. Right? Yeah, that there was some loss, that there was something that was attractive that he enjoyed having, and then it was taken away, and mm. he suffered because the attractive object was no longer accessible to him. That was a real attractive object. Yeah. That was another ahad. Well, how is that not a worldly thought? That's the question. Is, it, is an ahad a worldly object? Absolutely. And he's a, he's an, 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 an ahad is a worldly object? It's a worldly object in the sense that it's experienced by beings like me, but in, in the sense, but in the sense that it's experienced by a Shariputra, it shouldn't be. That, and that's the point. If it's not a worldly object, and Shariputra is not a worldly object, then why is it that it seems that Shariputra had a worldly thought? 
No, it seems like Chad Wichita. It just seems like Yeah. Uh, let me tell you this. If you have, uh, if you appreciate the Buddha for what the Buddha is, mm -hmm. and you have an attraction for the Buddha, mm -hmm. that's not that, that's not a worldly attraction. Okay. That, an ahat is an object. It, it, it's okay to have an attraction for it. It's not gonna. It's not gonna cause you pain. So it has to do with what it will lead to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting analysis. Maybe I can live with it. <laughs> 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 yeah. I agree with your sensibility, by the way. I. This, there's a great. There's also a great story about there was a Zen, great Zen master who was believed to have achieved that state. Mm -hmm. And when he uh, heard that one of his friends had died, he, he burst into tears, you know, in front of the students. And mm -hmm. some students said, well, why are you doing that? You're not supposed to be like a block of wood or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. And he basically said the same thing. Mm -hmm. My friend died. I lost. Yeah, my friend died. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, and that's uh, we have to end. Well, we're supposed to end with half hour ago. The thing is with renunciation it has nothing to do with stop being, start having a, a, a dear thoughts towards others. Having dear thoughts is a is a is a, is a manifestation of of spirituality. Being close to people is it's unfortunate. It's because there's all this junk in our minds, we, we mix that up, we, we mess it up. But that in itself, having any sense of endearment towards someone else, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, a, it's, 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 it's spiritual involvement. But be careful not to mix it up with, with, uh, with, uh, with the dirt and the stuff that's in our mind. Okay. Ah. And, and, and uh, okay, I'll give you an example. This is really the last one. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, um, Rinpoche passed away. I wasn't supposed to cry because I'm supposed to be some sort of, uh, you know, strong practitioner. I love him. I love him. And he's not here anymore. What, what are you supposed to do? Of course, you don't become dysfunctional and throw the path away. Oh, he's gone now. No more path, but... I remember what you did. You, you stopped teaching for a little while because you said it was difficult to, more difficult to be in touch with him now and that you needed to do some practices to be in touch with him. That's, and you had some emotion when you said And uh, right, since I'm just a poor, uh, ignorant little Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, Poor Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> We're beating up on Jeffrey the whole class. <laughs> when His Holiness was giving a teaching, in the first class I that was giving in New York, there was a mind, mind conference uh, where different teachers from different uh, traditions were giving talks. And these were like the highest of each of each uh, tradition, the when the the teacher the teacher from the Nima tradition uh, came to teach, and while he was teaching, all of a sudden he stopped because his teacher was he didn't want to go. His teacher was you know you know death row or death about to die, 
But his teacher told him to go anyway because this would benefit others. And while he was in the middle of teaching, his teacher passed away. And he just, just knew. And why did this, in, this incredible t master who could feel his teacher passing away, who was all the way in Tibet or in India while he's in New York, what did he do as soon as he found out? He started teaching and burst into tears. Why was he crying? Somebody who's has attachment? Or he has something to work out? Or was that a sign of his great achievement? That he was able to do so? This, it's not a bad karma to feel sad for something bad that's going on. It's a sign of spiritual achievement. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to give your knees a break, walk around, come back in maybe 15 minutes, then we'll do the meditation. Are you hungry? Maybe. <laughs> Depression wrecks, and if I'm content for like a minute because something nice happened, I, like, I feel content or happy, and then, you know, the depression comes, the contentment is totally wiped away. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can only, like, how do you, you know, like... You cannot have the two of them. I can't be content and depressed. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're not mutually compatible. Mm -hmm. They're not mutually able to coexist in my mind at the same time. Yeah. Well, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me take it from this point of view. Take a point of view of a vessel. Yeah. While you're in Samsara, what's the, what's the main mind as far as vessel for whatever experience you have? Yeah. While I'm in samsara, was the main mind the vessel for for all the experiences that you have? The main mind. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the, what we call, so, what I call my mind. Yeah, it does, so it so the vessel for the external hole that's within which all the experiences are happening. Yeah. You have, um, whether, like, take of, of a person going through various stages of experience in their life. Okay. They go through, they lose everything. And they're they're depressed. They, they, they build up everything, they lose everything, they, they build up everything. Yeah. Yeah. What's the main mind within which all of this is happening? When, it, when, when that person builds up everything and they feel content, are they in nirvana? No. When that person is, is, uh, has lost everything, is that person now in samsara? No. So whether that person is having wonderful experiences or not having wonderful experiences, that person is where in samsara. What's the what's the mind? What's the vessel? What's the main mind of samsara? The main vessel of experience. Mind of suffering. So whatever, whatever, is in the same way. This, you can think of it uh, as the opposite of someone who's having a wonderful experience, say, they won the lotto, and they married the person they always wanted to marry, they have everything that they want, so they, at least for that moment of gaining it, they feel very, very, very happy. So what is the mind within which this happiness is happening? Mind of suffering. <laughs> Yeah, a mind, a mind of suffering. A mind of suffering. A mind of suffering. Right. So here's somebody who's having a blissful experience within a, within a suffering basis. Right. So you can think of it now the opposite. Uh, now someone who's having a, 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 a painful experience mm -hmm. in the uh, mind of non-suffering. Yeah. See, painful again. Uh, and yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why I have to say knowing and feeling. Knowing and feeling. Then, then you have to say then it, that's where that's where that's where you have to make the distinction. There is knowing suffering, and there's feeling suffering. The feeling we could call it like a, a karma ripening. Mm. Feeling happy, feeling sad, feeling like those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So that's like a, 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 an art doesn't feel that, doesn't, doesn't have feelings in that sense. There is no such thing as bad karma ripening and a person is sad, a good karma. And the, and the bliss that they experience is not just a karma that just ripened. Right. It's the container of their experience now that has been transformed. And that container is always blissful. And within that blissful state, they can come and they can know different experiences. Because uh, otherwise, uh, it will all of a sudden become completely stupid. They would go, they would go to uh, a place where people are suffering, begging for help, and, and they would say, uh, they, would, they would have no idea what's going on. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I would, I would think there'd be the knowing, but not that, like, um, They'd still be smiling. They'd go to a concentration camp during Nazi Germany and they'd be kind of blissfully smiling. Huh. I guess they're suffering. I guess the way I was thinking of it, I guess the way I was thinking of it now recently is um, like the example if you if you see someone who if you see someone who looks at 
like, uh, let's say the person in the concentration camp is one of the person is the mother looking at, or the father looking at their child or something in the concentration, they'd be like totally torn apart and like dysfunctional and just like they can't help them at all because mm -hmm. they're busy like grieving and mm -hmm. doubled over in pain. Mm -hmm. Then someone who doesn't like them is looking at it and they're like kind of happy that that person's like behind bars or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then what I'm thinking like in our heart, some what that has that true contentment they take with them would be like the doctor or someone who oh that person's got like some shrapnel here I can like do that and then maybe I can get them out of there mm -hmm. but they're not like that the, I don't see I would still think they'd be having that whatever that true contentment that you know Nirvana supposedly uh, mm -hmm. contains they're keeping that and they're just doing the best they can with the situation mm -hmm. The doctor still feels. But it's not like. Um, the doctor still has feeling for the, the, those that the doctor is treating. Actually, you can, you can think of two kinds of doctors. There's one who is completely stoic, emotionless, and decide it, okay, shrapnel, and take it out. Right. I figured that the, the art. And there's, there's, a, like there's a doctor who can look at it and sort of internally know what it's like to have that in there. Mm -hmm. And then the way he removes it would be different from the one who just see, oh, bone, flesh, oh, let me take, and this is not supposed to be in there, let me take it out. I, I thought that first doctor that's feeling the suffering is, is, is um, that, that's something that someone who reached Nirvana had gotten away with, because it's supposed to be transcending suffering. Mm -hmm. So I figured it would have to be the person that just is looking at it like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Because I don't see, yeah, I don't feel like true contentment and the depression, true contentment and the suffering can, I, I don't see how you can have those. You gave the example with the vessel, to, but if it's like, then that's not, to, to have, to, to know pain and to feel pain and that's the same thing. You can know pain and that's the be in pain, I would say. Think, think about Avalokiteshvara as well, as a tenth level Bodhisattva, right, the story goes, you know, that he has this, saw the suffering, right, and then a tear comes from his eye, and he knows that he's not ready to enter Buddhahood at that point, the Sutrayana version. But the example you gave with Charipudra is like he feels suffering, he oh, yeah. feels, so then that's not knowing it, that's, that's like... You feel? Well, he just made the distinction yeah. between know and feel, right? Yeah. yeah. But right. The, the one that we are talking about, the Shariputra, doesn't sound like the knowing. It sounds like the feeling. Yeah, that was it. Well, it, it but it, that, the feeling was not, was the, that was not the ripening of some bad karma. When you say knowing, you're not referring to just a dry intellectual knowing. No, you're referring to a knowing which can encompass every bit of feeling that another being like, such as a samsara being like, uh, which, which is a suffering type of feeling, which is based on ignorance. Right, right. I, I just, I'm under the impression like what we're trying to transcend is the, the feeling of suffering, the, the suffering of losing loved ones and stuff like that. And so when you say like, oh, they've reached the goal and I still have that, it's just very difficult for me to agree, agree, make those two deal with each other. I think it's a very difficult issue to deal with, and it's a good one to deal with. I had a question that's kind of connected to this, and that is, you know, like a Buddha will see, you know, 
you would see suffering and you have that desire to help, mm -hmm. right? And we who are still in samsara and we're maybe on the path as best we know how to be, we, Buddhas never get frustrated. Definitely. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, sometimes like I, 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 I can see it and I can want so much to help and I can offer help and, and I see the people, you know, that I'm trying to help continuing to create causes that are going to bring more suffering. Mm -hmm. What on a practical level can help not be frustrated but still be inspired? Like Use that frustration as fuel to the reason that you... You couldn't help that person in a definite way because you're not yet enlightened. Use the frustration to push you to further renunciation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to use that frustration because it is frustrating. Yeah. And, uh, and you shouldn't do some sort of practice where you don't feel frustration anymore while you're still in your. But let that state. sort of be rocket fuel to yeah. propel you further yeah. into renunciation. Yeah. Actually, this, this whole question, it reminds me of that story that bothers, has bothered me for years. Uh, the story about the, the little girl who was sick and the parents of the little girl, right? They keep trying to get the little girl to meet the Buddha because they're told that if the Buddha just looks at this little girl, she'll recover. And they, every time they try to bring her, you know, he always changes his direction. He's always traveling somewhere else. He's never where the little girl is. They cannot get right. the two to meet. And finally, the parents are exasperated. They go to the Buddha and they say, look, you know, you just need to kind of just meet her and she'll be okay. And he says, I, I, I can't. I don't have the, we don't have the karma together for me to actually do that. And I'm just thinking, like, was the Buddha sitting there smiling? No, I'm sorry, I can't. Your little girl's going to die. I don't have the karma. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Was, was, you know, would the Buddha have been, would the Buddha have been felt nothing? And just felt blissful and, okay, well, can't do anything. Or did the Buddha feel that pain of the parents? And, and I'm thinking the Buddha had to understand and feel and incorporate that pain, yet in a way that where the Buddha's understanding of reality or unreality from its own side of that situation, and yet that's the experience of the parents, and it's horrible. And the Buddha's understanding. Buddha and pain for me, they don't want to, they don't like to go together. <laughs> I don't know, and, and our matters I don't like them putting together. Is the Buddha smiling? Yeah, I need to keep it separate. Okay. What was the Buddha doing when they talked to us? Let's say, say it again. What was the Buddha doing when he was talking to the parents? What, what? Not feeling pain and suffering. Well, you're the parents. The Buddha's sitting there. How would the Buddha react? Do the best he can. Oh, is that Whatever that is. Is to be concerned? As, oh, you, you can, was the Buddha really concerned? Oh, you can ask. Has an omni the depth of his heart was like, as an yes, concerned as an okay, omniscient being, as an omniscient being, yeah, that means knows whatever whatever is an object of knowledge, he knows. Right, right. Uh, how does he come to know that there is pain that the parents have pain because they told him? How does he know that they, that they have pain? Well, you just said he's omniscient, so he knows already. And how does he know? Directly. <laughs> just joking. Uh, uh, if it's an emotion, he feels it? Is that, uh, is that the right answer? Actually, I don't know this. Okay. His emotions are those. But uh, it's like a, somebody who's resilient to pain or something? 
it's not like when when there is the they will not feel no pain whatsoever. It's just that how they react to different levels of pain is different. Right. It's not like they have no feeling either. There's, they feel it the same way as you were to pull all the way through. But if, you say they're resilient in the sense that the way they react to it when it's all the way through is different. But they still feel it. So the Buddha knows pain from knowing it in his own being. And it's because of the deeper knowing of pain. That's what makes the Buddha so, so um, fantastic. <laughs> such an incredible being. Such a and this and this goes for an arhat too. I mean, because uh, like didn't know in pain. The same thing about. But um, well, arhat to a certain degree. Yeah. To a certain degree. Yeah. It's like uh, if it's something that exists, they know it. I mean, they know it for for what it is, rather than the way they would imagine it. They would, they would, they would fantasize about it. So, if we move out into the realm of, of tantra, for example, and we talk about a wrathful Buddha emanating from wrathful and, and using that wrathful countenance, does the Buddha also? What does the Buddha experiencing in terms of the? That is being where it directs its attention towards suffering and uses those means. Such as, well, such as the Buddha manifesting as a wrathful form of Tantrusri, as in right? And he's going to beat suffering out of certain beings because that's how they have to be dealt with. Does the Buddha experience a form of anger that, or what type of emotion does the Buddha experience when the Buddha is related to? Expressing angry, the anger, the wrath. You say, well, the Buddha has. The Buddha knows the anger. Yeah. He's not angry. No. But he he uses the expressions. And is it the same as the Buddha feeling the expressions of pain? Feel the pain of someone else. And I don't consider that to be. Oh, I'm bad time I like it. I consider it to be a good thing. You know, the, the I think the most moving passage in the book about the 17th Karma, there's two. There's one in particular where the, the writer, who's a journalist, interviews the Dalai Lama about his role in that because he was the one who recognized the 17th Karmapa and he's in his office and he's talking and then, you know, it's a nice factual kind of conversation and then right at the end, uh, there's a picture in front of the Dalai Lama and there's a picture of someone's daughter who had cancer I think something like that, mother or something and so the journalist asked him, what is that? Well, someone sent me this and they asked me to do whatever uh, to, to help and right at the end, the interview is concluded, he sees the Dalai Lama kind of take the picture and kind of put it inside his robe and when he's doing it there's a certain expression of concern you could see it he just said he saw it in his eyes and that was what really moved him about the whole interview so it was the Dalai Lama you know what this being is suffering and it was the Dalai Lama connecting with that suffering when he saw it in the Dalai Lama's face and that to me that was the most moving passage in the whole book there are many moving passages in this book that's the most moving 
is to know that the Dalai Lama, you know, really cares that much. And, and why do we Buddhists appreciate Buddha? Not because it's blissful, because he, he knows what, what pain that we're going through. Our pain is not just an intellectual object in his mind, it's something that he knows. And if he, if he, if he all of a sudden stops knowing it, it becomes completely useless, irrelevant for us. And we like uh, someone who has no feeling for, for people that they are dealing with and get frustrated with them because they're not doing what they want to do. Like if you wanted to help some people and you tell them to move left and they, they refuse to move left. If you don't go into knowing why they're not moving left, then you're going to be frustrated with them. And, 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 and,